The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Lead Lag Report on Twitter to join these conversations live. And check out the Lead Lag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets. And now, on to our Lead Lag Live discussion, hosted by Michael Guyot. My name is Michael Guyot, publisher of the Lead Lag Report. Joining me for the hour is Samantha LaDuke, Jack Gamble, Kashyap Shuram. Samantha, introduce yourself to the audience. I'll go to uh, Jack afterwards. Super. Greetings, everyone. My name is Samantha LaDuke. Yes, I'm founder of LaDuke Trading, and I'm a macro to micro analyst, educator, and trader. And this is all assets and all time frames, not just NVIDIA. <laughs> By the way, I feel like we need to have some like commonality on how to pronounce uh, NVIDIA. I say NVIDIA. A lot of people say NVIDIA. I, I think it's all fucked either way. Let's go to Jack. <laughs> Go ahead, Jack. Thanks, Michael. My name is Jack Gamble, and I run the YouTube channel called Nobody Special Finance. I'm also at JG Nuke on Twitter. And my name is on purpose. It's so I am not ever accused of portraying myself as something I'm not. My background is mechanical engineering. I was an engineer in nuclear power for 15 years. And about two years ago, I decided to leave a very lucrative career in nuclear power to start running my finance YouTube channel, which is not a very lucrative career. And I know I've got a lot of people who are saying that I'm, you know, I'm just out to to make my puts worth more money or I'm just engagement farming. No position in the stock. And that's definitely not what I'm doing. There are easier ways to make money on YouTube than the way I do it. I would echo, by the way, that sentiment that it is way harder to make money on YouTube than people realize. That's a whole different topic. Kashyap, go ahead. Thanks, Michael. I'm an independent trader, financial consultant, and I've been writing financial newsletters for a non-professional audience for like seven years. So I like dumbing down financial topics and making them easier to understand. So that's kind of the purpose of the press. Okay, so so since, Jack, you mentioned that you don't have a position, I will make it very clear. Neither do I. So let's set the seed clearly for everybody. Samantha, do you currently have a position in NVIDIA? I have and recommended long Cisco after their earnings and short NVIDIA after their earnings. Okay, and Jack already said no, and then Kashyap? Yeah, I hold the NVDS ETF and various puts. Okay, so I want to set the stage early on because I think a lot of people have been not fully getting the joke and the analysis I myself have been putting out when I keep on commenting on NVIDIA. To be very clear, I don't have an opinion myself on what we're going to be talking about as far as shenanigans or optics or what might be happening. We'll get into the details that Jack and Samantha and Kashyap have unraveled themselves. I don't have an opinion personally. For me, what's gone on with NVIDIA is more of an interesting dynamic in terms of where we are in the market in general. I see a lot of disconnects in terms of the narrative and in terms of what's actually happening from an intermarket perspective. I'm sure, Samantha, you do as well, given that we tend to look at things, I think, somewhat similarly. Yeah, the reality is everyone's talking about AI mania. The reality is if AI mania is going to be as pervasive as people think, if NVIDIA really is going to be the the supplier to the world of all this generative AI, 
then someone has to explain to me why 30-year yields, 30-year yields keep on rising, even though inflation is supposed to be abated because of artificial intelligence, because of the replacement of jobs. Somebody has to explain to me why small caps keep on sucking wind when they should be the biggest beneficiaries from a productivity standpoint down the line, if you believe markets are a discounting mechanism. So there's a lot of things which don't make sense to me relative to the narrative of AI in general, in terms of price movement, which we'll get into. But that's a conversation for a little bit later. I want to get right into, Samantha, your post, which got Jack's thoughts running around what's gone on with the earnings beat. Explain from your vantage point what's gone on with the last earnings release and why it was a red flag for you. Well, I already had this uh, trepidation into the NVIDIA earnings, which was on the May beat. Prior to that, institutional desks were just excited about it and wanted it before earnings. And of course, it was outsized and it has obviously stayed very well bid since that May beat. But this one didn't have the same subscription coming in by institutional desk. So that already had me on alert. It was also at a technical level, which is, you know, for you, for anyone who's into technical analysis on a weekly, it was 161.8 did retracement. And it also matched my intermarket analysis that we were reaching a top relative SMH, which is, you know, relative to SPY. It's a ratio. I do a lot of ratio analysis and it looked very much like it was going to peter out and start to roll over. So of course it's a sentiment tell. I'm very focused on the thing, the Magnificent Seven, as it relates to growth relative to value, so I can help identify when we're going to get sector rotation to better position for those moves. So long story short, eyes on the prize, NVIDIA. But it wasn't until after that lovely beat that I had my tweet, which was basically focused on the core weave connection. And that is what got a few million impressions. My first ever, by the way. So I don't monetize anything on Twitter or on YouTube. This was a a new phenomenon for me. Trust me, this is not like I'm seeking notoriety. And I surely don't like the backlash that I'm getting since asking the bloody question, is and demand real because of this core weave connection, which was basically my tweet August 24th, right after, right? Thursday after the NVIDIA earnings after hours, which was completely unwound the next day. And a fabulous fade, by the way, since I run a live trading room, obviously I'm kind of interested, but I don't have any agenda or acts to to grind in regards to, you know, having them fail. No, no, no. (laughs) I simply saw that, you know, a fabulous tweet actually by another that questioned this this core weave collateral, which is basically private equity asset based line of credit financed by Blackstone and Magnetar and others that seemed to line up perfectly with their data center beat. So my tweet literally said, "Core weave is backed by Nvidia, buys 2.3 billion in Nvidia chips with 2.3 billion LOC financed by BlackRock. I should have said Blackstone and others." using the 2.3 billion NVIDIA chips as collateral. BlackRock owns 182 million shares of NVIDIA, which I know is mostly passive. NVIDIA claims 2.3 billion data center beat. NVIDIA gaps up 11% in after hours, all of which was unwound during regular trading hours. This is more than a closed loop. It's sold to you. That was my tweet that went viral. And then Jack saw it and basically said, let's have an interview. I've got some thoughts and research on core wheat. And I'm like, absolutely, let's collaborate. It takes a village. (laughs) So long story short, that was what kind of triggered 
the interest, right? And I don't mean, you know, those who are really excited about bashing NVIDIA. I want no part of that. I don't even like your title, Michael. Why does it say NVIDIA is fucked? It should say, is NVIDIA fucked? And then we can debate. So the point is, my whole point was something was up. It looked suspicious. Then Jack did a fabulous job. Not only video one, video two, video three, they got stronger and stronger. And I just ask anybody, even if you're a complete troll to this argument, first of all, don't attack because I was simply asking the question, is the end demand real? And second of all, watch those videos because he has done some fabulous investigative journalism as to the connection, not just Core Weave to NVIDIA, but Core Weave to Magnetar. Who was Magnetar? Core Weave to Nat Gas and Carbon Credits and Ethereum. And oh my goodness, it's fabulous. I didn't know any of that. That was not my angle. I learned through just putting this question out there, is demand real, that there are a lot of people that are a little bit more suspicious and have much more data than I do. So that's where we're having this talk now, right? And you've got you know, a fundamental take on the 10 Qs that I wasn't drilling into. I'm not an expert in accrual accounting. I was definitely just fascinated by where this rabbit hole was going. And I think we have more time and more price discovery that will occur. So that's it in a nutshell. That's how I got into this. And I'm sticking with my call that it's still very suspicious. So I changed the name of the space just for you to is NVIDIA fucked? Okay. Now, and I want to be very clear for the audience. You know, I even sent a direct message to each of these three up here saying, I want to make sure that this does not come across like it's some conspiratorial take. Okay. I don't believe that what's gone on personally with NVIDIA has anything to do with fundamentals at all, beats, whatever it is. I do believe that there is a human mania aspect to this, no different than what we saw with crypto in 2021. I've said that very publicly in the past. Oh, I agree with you on right. that. Too. And, and if, but I think this is important because I think, you know, regardless of whether if somebody thinks that what's gone on with NVIDIA is shady or maybe it's not on the up and up the way that the accounting dynamics have played out, which we'll talk about with up. The reality is I'm not sure any of that even matters in terms of what explains the current stock price, because, again, You've got a very narrow market. The new bull market narrative is nonsense when you look at pretty much everything outside of the seven major stocks that have dri- driven the large gap averages. But I think it does provide good context. So I want to go to you, Jack, on this because I got to give you credit. I was initially annoyed by the YouTube uh, clip three of things that make you go, uh, because you did it so often throughout that video. We did a great job in communicating some of your research. So for the audience, Jack, assume we are all five years old and are don't know what a GPU is. What are some of the things that you uncover that made you go when it comes to NVIDIA? Okay, so let me get a little bit of irony out of the way. All of my videos that I did were produced using an NVIDIA RTX 3090 graphics card. My you damn hypocrite. What are you doing? <laughs> because they're awesome chips. These things are great, okay? And the most common criticism I've run into for my videos has been, I just don't understand the tech, all right? I just don't get it, all right? People calling me boomer. Okay, that's hilarious. The tech is awesome. I'm not arguing with the quality of the technology. And, you know, I'm sitting here staring at this GeForce light in my face every day as I work. So, yeah, I I get how great they are. But, you know, what? the Internet was amazing technology. It was groundbreaking and it revolutionized the whole world. And that didn't stop the dot-com bubble from bursting. All right. So please don't mistake my work and my criticism and my suspicion for a condemnation of the tech. The tech is incredible. All right. No, I'm not challenging that. The business practices are highly suspicious. And I started looking into Core Weave based on Samantha's tweet, which 
got the gears turning. That was my initial take because I was blown away like everybody by the earnings beat. It was amazing. And I am self-confessed perma bear. You know, I, I know that's an insult to most people. I try to wear it on my sleeve. My own biases are there out for everybody to see. And I warn people about it. And I say, go consume content contrary to my position and make up your own mind. But the first thing I did with CoreWeave, I went to their website and I say, who are these people? All right, because they come out of nowhere. And now all of a sudden they're the next big thing. I want to know who they are. So I start looking up their names. I look up their founders and their board of directors and I go to their LinkedIn pages. And the first thing I see is that Two of the three founders used to work together at a hedge fund. The third founder was a commodities trader. I'm so, okay, well, right away, these guys are not techies, right? These are not your socially awkward last one picked at gym class who makes this technological breakthrough and becomes a billionaire story that we love to go watch the movie a few years later. And it's so entertaining. That's not these guys. These are Wall Streeters. All right. So that was my first, I don't want to say red flag, but my first, my first suspicion was there. And then I went a little further back in their LinkedIn and I found the common denominator of NatSource, who I, which I had never heard of before. And so I looked into NatSource and I saw carbon credits. And right away I said, oh, okay, big red flag there because I know carbon credits has been a hotbed of financial crimes in the past. And it turns out that NatSource was one of the biggest players in the world for carbon credits. Jack Colgan, who is currently on the Core Weave Board of Directors, who was also on the board of directors of Hudson Ridge Asset Management, the core we've guys, former hedge fund. Jack Hogan was also the CEO of NatSource. And he was the founder of the International Emissions Trading Consortium. He was the biggest name in carbon credits. And that was my first suspicion. Okay, okay, these are not tech guys. These are financial engineers. And that's what really made me start digging. And Michael, this all happened in a span of three or four minutes, this series of Googles and everything, this was not a deep dive. I was not sequestered for months. You know, the room didn't stink because I wasn't eating or drinking, right? This cursory glance through Google, this information revealed itself plainly. Nobody has bothered to look into these guys. That's the most shocking thing about all of this. Okay, now in, in fairness, right? And I hear you, I'm not disputing what you're saying. In fairness, you know, a lot of people start businesses and industries that they don't have any core competencies in them, right? They find it, they see an opportunity and they want to allocate to you. And yeah, obviously they're smart guys. They have yeah, been around for a while. I understand the link to what they did in 2008. That's, you know, I don't dispute anything you're saying on that end. The question then I think is going to be, is there some kind of manipulative or some kind of very sort of negative intent in terms of CoreWeave and NVIDIA maybe choosing them as a possible winner, assuming that, their business is real. I'll be honest. When it gets into questioning intent, all right, first of all, NVIDIA does have a history of making materially false statements in financial disclosures. All right. Their CFO, somebody just sent me the link this morning. I was blown away because I didn't dig this up in my research. Their former CEO was accused of financial fraud by the SEC for deliberately misrepresenting earnings. She understated the cost of goods sold in their April of 2000. This is going way back now, but you know, Jensen Wong was still CEO back then. Their CFO, and there's a link in the comments to this space if anybody wants to check me on this, their CFO made materially false statements where in order to understate the cost of goods sold, she negotiated two agreements. The first was with one of her suppliers to undercharge for chips that they were buying in that quarter in order to lower their cost of goods sold and make them appear more profitable. 
And then the second agreement was where they would overcharge NVIDIA in the following quarters to recoup that money. And she did not disclose that second agreement about how they'd be overcharged later. She withheld that information from their independent auditors. And so she made materially false statements in financial disclosures. And of course, she settled with the SEC without admitting any wrongdoing. She was ordered to pay $671,000 to the SEC, admitting no, no wrongdoing. All right. But Jensen Wong was CEO. Did he not know that his CFO had made materially false statements that inflated the quarterly earnings by 15%. I think that's a little hard to believe. And if that is, if you do believe that, then what does that say about Jensen Huang? And if you don't believe that he didn't know, then you have to believe that he did know and he did nothing to stop it when he had the power to. And what does that say about Jensen Huang? All right. And actually, they have done this recently as well. So I'm looking at an SEC letter dated 15 June of this year. Where the SEC is asking them, like, this is the phrase. Also, if you continue to discuss the changes in segment gross margin, such as on the bottom of the page 42, please revise to include quantification of the cost of revenues by segment so that investors can better assess the significance of the items disclosed in your narrative. So this is part of an SEC letter sent on 15 June, and it goes further. So there's another paragraph where it says, Please tell us if you offer these cloud services in connection with the sale of other products or services. If so, please tell us and revise note one in future filings to disclose how you recognize revenue for the provision of multiple offerings to one customer and your accounting for any multiple performance obligations within customer contracts. So this is recent. So definitely the SEC is looking at their disclosures. And Kasha, maybe just because I don't want you to necessarily go through the whole thread, which got you know a lot of viral play as well. I'm sharing at the top of the list here, but lay out the fundamental accounting work that you've done that maybe explains why the number was so surprising. Again, I want to preface, I want to keep emphasizing this point. I myself don't believe that this explains the stock price movement the last several months. I think this is classic mania, classic, you know, bubble type behavior. It's a story everybody can relate to. Everybody understands AI, at least conceptually. They can envision it. They can see themselves getting fat over it. I don't think that's what explains the demand in the price. And obviously there is real demand for the GPUs, but, but talk about some of those dynamics you kind of uncovered in that thread. Sure. So yeah, even I would go with saying that it's partly animal spirits, but then if you did not have these recurring earnings, beats and revenues growth, then you would not have had the animal spirits continuing for so long, right? There's only at some point if sales slows down, then the multiples are going to contract, especially with interest rates rising. So they have to keep the revenue numbers going up in order to continue this for as long as it has. So with that caveat, I think I would agree that this is partly just an AI bubble, which is just making these stocks go up. And so from the accounting point of view, the my starting point was just the fact that they reported this huge revenue beat in their uh, Q2. Now, usually what happens is the consensus estimates come pretty close to the target because when a company is going to have a huge beat or a huge mess, they tend to either warn the analysts in advance or they just put out a press release warning about a profit beat or a earnings mess. So in NVIDIA's case, it looked like the analysts didn't see this coming because the consensus estimate was just 11.04 billion and the beat was huge, like 13.51. So 
This usually doesn't happen, especially for a company that's well followed by analysts. So that got me thinking about maybe there's something else up here. And that started the whole going down the rabbit hole. We'll be back after a quick break. Hello, listeners. Michael Guyad here from Lead Lag Live. Are you ready to take a deep dive into market trends, risk management, and investment strategies? Then you need the Lead Lag Report. Our in-depth analysis helps you understand the financial markets like never before. And guess what? We're giving you a chance to experience it at a discounted rate. Visit theleadlag.report slash leadlaglive and get an exclusive 30% off on your subscription. Don't miss out. Level up your investment game with the Lead Lag Report. And now, back to our discussion. Michael. I wish we would have included Jeffrey from Graph Financials. He actually is another one kind of in the village who kind of saw this irregular accounting or lack of a better word, suspicion, and dug in a little bit saying, I'm not saying it's a fraud by any stretch. This is Jeffrey. Basically, he said, since CoreWeave is responsible for the beat 17% of sales so fast, NVIDIA is backing CoreWeave. NVIDIA, you know, their investor relations department should have put a lot of care and disclosure. So he was suspicious on this and basically looked a little bit further and found, you know, that this could be a kind of a special purpose vehicle for channel stuffing. And it would not be the first time that they have done that. So it was kind of a question that he started building. And then that led him into this research around the financing. You know, this vendor financing, of course, is done often. But specifically in Corweave's situation, there is a character that he found that I had not heard of. Neither had, you know, Jack identified in any of the three videos. But this is what I mean by it takes a village, right? So he had come up with a great segment talking about how, oh, what is the name of this? CISO? Do you remember, Jack? Cicerax. It's a crypto mining Ethereum play. So Corweave, he discovered through transactions had a history of dumping GPUs at a loss to the investing public by contributing, you know, these GPUs to TTM Company, which was basically a reverse merger of Cicerex, and then dumping the shares of Cicerex, which was a crypto mining Ethereum play. So he went in and found those transactions. So it's all, again, just kind of the community going, huh, let me look into this. Some because they're investors in NVIDIA, and this might plant some doubt where there are no analysts, as you have you know, followed, that have a sell rating on NVIDIA. The, the last one converted at their last blockbuster earnings report, you know, two weeks ago. So there are no sell ratings on NVIDIA. As you said, it, it does feel a speculative bubble. But all I thought was fascinating was this core weave character coming into the story And Jack's due diligence, Jeffrey's due diligence, you know, the fundamental take aside, there is some reason Magnetar's involvement as a strong backer early and often. There's just some reason to pause and be skeptical. And just ignorance is not bliss. Investors need to know this. They should have had this in their disclosures on their earnings report, period, full stop. Before we get Jack, I want to get Jay Goldberg in here. Jay's got some interesting thoughts on AI. And, and Jay, I don't know too much about you, but I saw a couple of interesting posts from you. So maybe just introduce yourself to the audience and talk about some of your expertise and maybe some of your initial thoughts here. Hi, good morning or good afternoon, everybody. Yeah, I'm, I'm Jay Goldberg. I'm a former sell side analyst, but I've been working inside of chip companies in finance teams for many years. I left the street about 10 years ago and I've worked for a bunch of other chip companies. 
And I, I follow the space pretty closely. And, you know, I've done a lot of work lately on AI and the growth of compute and changing needs of compute. And so I'm pretty familiar with this story. Do you get a sense that the, uh, the hype is justified from, you know, your experience? And if it is, why is it seemingly so concentrated where there's no sort of ancillary halo effects on other? So, things? yeah, I mean, just structurally, there's a big change taking place in compute in the data center market. There's big demand. AI is a very important trend in terms of how big software companies, small software companies are going to do their compute, you know, the kinds of compute they're going to need. And NVIDIA is very well positioned for that. They have a, a leading market share in all sort of the critical sub-segments around AI. And there just aren't any good alternatives for a whole bunch of reasons that we don't you know, need to get into. It's not just good products, but there's a whole ecosystem they've been investing in for many years. Now, to your point, to everyone's point, is it a bubble? Is like everyone going AI crazy? Yeah, 100%. Like, I don't understand these valuations. People, there's just so much sort of mainstream chatter about AI. I think it's sort of misunderstanding the opportunity. It's really overblowing it. But it is a real trend. And we can debate like what the value of NVIDIA should be, what the right multiple is. But like, there's no getting around the fact that there is very large, very significant demand for NVIDIA GPUs. They're doing, they're executing incredibly well. And I think that sort of structurally, this is where the market is going, right? And so they're benefiting from a really important trend. And I think that explains a lot of why they've been able to beat and raise so much where you have, you know, the seven, 10 biggest hyperscalers in the world all lining up to buy as many GPUs as they can. And NVIDIA is really the only game in the market. It's interesting on this topic. I'd be very open to understanding if anyone has some intel on this, but they claimed that CoreWeave, whom they backed, whom was also, you know, which was just a $100 million company a very short period ago before this $2.3 billion infusion. But the point is, they claimed that um, CoreWeave was their top 10 customer. Have, has anyone ever heard of any reports on who their customers might be? Because the CEO did a CNBC interview just a few weeks ago in August. And they named three that are absolutely fluff companies. So I'm kind of curious if there is demand that there should be some really strong clients that CoreWeave can point to. And I'm just kind of curious if anyone can do that kind of digging to find out. But the three that were mentioned were absolute fluff companies. Well, hold on. So, so, what were the yeah, three? I want to go to you, Jay, and then I want to go to Jack. But actually, I'm going to, I'll play the advocate. I mean, I can clearly envision a scenario where some of the large clients are government entities that don't want to be known that they're clients, right? I mean, I've got to assume on the back end there's stuff like that happens, but go ahead, Jay. I'm just curious, who were the three that they mentioned? Let's see. I've got number one, Fire, number two, Tartiel AI, and number three, Novell AI, N-O-V-E-L. So those are the three that CoreWeave touted in the CEO interview on CNBC back in August. That's recent stuff. So I'm not impressed. Let's just put it that way. So, so yeah, I mean, Core Weave is a weird one. There, there is a possible explanation to Core Weave is that they just got lucky at the right place at the right time. I'm not going to send them. I don't know Core Weave particularly well, but there are rational explanations why they exist. I'm, I don't know this, but I'm pretty sure that one of Core Weave's biggest customer is NVIDIA itself, because in, in, NVIDIA, in partnership with Google and Microsoft, is looking to build its own cloud computing offering. DGX, Omniverse. I think that's where a lot of NVIDIA's, a lot of CoreWeave's customers' base is actually NVIDIA itself. 
What, what, what you so get, I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to defend Core Weave. There's there is some weird stuff out there. They were on the Odd Lots podcast a while ago, a few weeks ago, and well, they gave a pretty credible explanation of their background. But yeah, they I mean, you missed one of the, you know, you giving their someone's giving their biography of the Core Weave guys. You missed it. They spent a lot of time as crypto miners too. So there's a whole crypto angle to that. There are reasonable questions to be asked about Core Weave, but there are also some plausible explanations to why they are. You know, so here's my take, right? So if the demand for NVIDIA chips is real, then why do you need to drop down $2.3 billion worth of inventory onto a related party? So that's one question. And the second is, if NVIDIA on their earnings call, they say that they are already working with 30,000 customers. And if that is the case, why do they need 4 If you can work with 30,000 customers, why not 40? Why not 50? Why not just scale? Why do you need to use a related party for your, for whatever you're offering, right? Like, what is the need for this entity in the first place? What is the need to throw inventory at this entity? NVIDIA is entering into new businesses, right? We all know them as a provider of chips and data cards, graphics cards, but they are also now entering into cloud compute services, right? They call it Omniverse. They're entering into a bunch of hype of software-related businesses, that are actually very compelling and very, I would argue, strategically important for them. But it requires them to build out data centers, right? Traditionally, chip companies don't build data centers, and NVIDIA is trying something new. I think it's very common in the hyperscale data center space to work with affiliates like this, right? Google, Amazon, AWS doesn't necessarily own all the buildings they run AWS in. They will hire third parties. They will co-invest with people to build out data centers. Right, and, but NVIDIA, and, and, NVIDIA yeah. already has the DGX cloud, so why not scale that? Why use, why use this entity instead no, of they, directly they ha- scaling? They, they have the product called DGX cloud, but that's not the same thing as actually running a cloud service. You need to buy a data center and fill it, and somebody needs to run it and make sure everything's plugged in and the air conditioning's working and stuff like that. And I, like that, I think that's where CoreWeave comes into this. Is they're, inter- they're doing their sort of physical day-to-day operation of the data center, which is a business that, you know, NVIDIA doesn't know well, and ne- neither does Amazon or Google have been doing it for a lot longer. But these are not tech guys, right? These are finance guys. Like, if you're going with um, someone to operate a data center, you would choose uh, someone who is knowledgeable about tech. So, so that's why I mentioned this Odd Lots podcast. According to CoreWeave, their history is they have been running, they started out, in the data center business, running Ethereum mining, which I get is not like a great mark on their resume, like, 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 but that's their explanation. They've been running data centers for the last, you know, seven or eight yeah, years. It's like, it's, it's a stretch, I'm but you know, it's, they, they need to say something, right? Jack, go ahead. I'm chopping at the bit here because, you know, I, I took almost an hour to tell this story with the three videos combined because it is so complex and I had to tell it so carefully because people have such short attention spans and that's Michael Wally. I had to use the song. Somebody mentioned the crypto thing a second ago, right? Core Weave guys were in the cryptocurrency before they started, you know, that were Atlanta Crypto Corp, all right? And it was a few days after they changed their name. Actually, it was two weeks from the time they changed their name from Atlanta Crypto Corp, a company that had previously managed a $1 million cap raise. And two weeks later, Magnetar Capital gave them $50 million. All right. Now, before that, they were carbon traders. Now, I'm open to suggestions, and this is an open call to anybody out there listening. Can anybody tell me what the common denominator between trading in carbon credits and mining cryptocurrency is? Because from my vantage point, and I'm just going to make the observation that those are the two easiest ways 
to launder money in large amounts. That is the obvious common denominator between those two businesses is money laundering. And that's why part three of my video series, I saved it for last. And it was something that I found again in that was in the second five minutes of Googling. I found the Paradise Papers and I found Jack Kogan, the director of CoreWeave and Michael and Trader, the CEO of CoreWeave. I found his network of 20 at least shell companies set up in the Cayman Islands under NatSource when they were trading carbon credits. So why? The two common denominators, crypto and carbon trading, and then the shell company set up in the Cayman Islands, is nobody at least a little suspicious of the credibility of these individuals. It's amazing how much is riding on these guys and their credibility and whether or not they're legit. And they have, at the very least, proximity to some very sleazy happenings in the world of finance, major players in them when it comes to carbon credits. And all anybody can talk about is the tech. This thing stinks. Jill, let me just reset the room for the remaining. Everybody, please make sure you follow Samantha, Jack, Kashup, Jay. I'm trying to get this together kind of last minute, and I appreciate everybody that's here. So please give some support to them. Again, to be very clear to everybody here, I'm not trying to be out there trying to get a bunch of people together to shit on NVIDIA. I keep going back to, I think this is a mania. Even if this core weave dynamic wasn't there, I suspect price would still act the exact same way because this is what human beings do. I keep going back to price is not moving based on AI. It's being moved based on emotions by people, by FOMO. Anybody who thinks that institutional investors are better than retail are out of their minds. I deal with institutional investors all the time. They are just hyped up retail in terms of their willingness to chase and not due diligence. And a lot of people have made money in NVIDIA and God bless them, right? I don't think, I don't think that's an issue. But I think the, the point here is that it's good to question, get a little bit deeper as far as what may be happening fundamentally. Jay, I want to go back to you just real quick on this. So just given that from your experience in the industry, there's always cycles, right? So is this, are we in a situation where fundamentally a lot of the demand has been pulled forward that you think that the revenue side is going to be challenged going forward or is this sort of a, yeah, in the early stages of a, of a perpetual super cycle? I, I think it's the latter. And I'm reluctant to say that because like I said, it's, we're clearly in, in a very heavy hype cycle, but there is a, there is real secular shift in data center buying patterns towards AI, towards GPUs. And so I think this can go on for a long time. Are they going to have an air pocket? Absolutely. Q3, Q2 next year, they're going to, you know, it's cyclical, but like there is a, a very strong fundamental shift working in NVIDIA's favor here. I'm curious to hear everybody's thoughts on if the analogy to Cisco is valid. And, you know, this idea that, I mean, Cisco kept on growing, right? But obviously the stock price didn't, you know, post, you know, tech wreck. Any truth to the idea that there's a parallel there or is there, is there something fundamentally dif- different about, you know, AI media? Maybe to you, Jay, first, and that's the Jack and Kajal. I, I think it's too soon to tell. It's absolutely, I mean, Ben Thompson made that, that analogy on his Stratechery podcast. And I, I think it's absolutely worth considering. I can't rule it out. I, I do think we have at least two, three years of very strong demand here for NVIDIA GPUs. Beyond that, it's tough to say. There are some differences here. Cisco had a lot more competitors for a long time that bled out the value. But I think there is still plenty of growth, certainly in the near, call it, year or two. There's a, a, there is sufficient demand out there that gives NVIDIA some room to grow into this Kind of crazy valuation. Right. Of course, that, that would imply that if it's going to grow into the valuation, that's either, you know, 
move up a lot slower, go sideways, or actually go down, right? I mean, it's you can't have a situation where it grows into its valuation where the pace of the growth of the share price is more than the valuation growth. I think that's where I keep going back to. It's less about the fundamentals and more about kind of human behavior that's happening here. Samantha, actually, Kashyap, I thought you had to unmute yourself. You want to go ahead, Kashyap? Yeah. So my thought is that the Cisco situation was very different because when Cisco was growing its revenues, what they were doing was they were using their share price as a currency. For instance, if they are trading at 30 times earnings, they would go acquire another company which is trading at 20 times earnings. And the earnings of that company get magnified in Cisco's uh, multiple, right? So they were doing this and they were growing their revenues through acquisition. Now it failed because one, when you have so many acquisitions, you need to integrate those and they couldn't make that work. And two, the tech bubble burst. So it just revealed all the bad acquisitions that they had made. But in NVIDIA's case, the revenue growth is because of increased gross margins and because, of course, it's a genuine bubble. And I mean, if you believe my explanation for why the revenue has grown, then that's that. So I think it's a different comparison. It's not similar in any way, the way they have grown their revenue. Samantha, I'm going to go to you and then Jack afterwards. This question of NVIDIA as a, uh, let's call it a systemic risk to the stock market. Forget about AI fundamentals. I have brought up that argument in the past. I got uh, eviscerated, like I typically do by people who don't understand nuance, in arguing that NVIDIA can take down the entire stock market. Now, that sounds really dramatic, but the reality is there's all kinds of studies that show that from a behavioral finance perspective, there's something known as the disposition effect, which is this idea that when faced with uncertainty, when faced with margin calls, when faced with losses on a portfolio level, people don't sell their losers first, they sell their winners first, right? They always sell their winners first before anything else. And there aren't that many really big winners outside the magnitude of the seven because a rising tide has not lifted all boats. It's been very concentrated. Most things are not a new bull market. Breath looks terrible, all the stuff. Samantha, you've been at this for a while. You've seen markets which have very concentrated leadership. Do you think that NVIDIA could actually be a risk to broader equity behavior? Forget about just the core weave and all this stuff. I'm trying to look at this from the standpoint of could this be a lightning rod for the bears? We'll be back after a quick break. Foodies unite with How You Dish. It's social media with a secret sauce. Food, the world's first network for food enthusiasts. How You Dish connects foodies across the world. Share kitchen tips and recipe hacks. Discover hidden gem food joints and street food. Find foodies like you. Connect, chat, and organize meetups. How You Dish makes it simple to connect through food anywhere in the world. So, how do you dish? Download How You Dish on the Apple App Store now. All right. So yeah, timeframes matter first and foremost. And of course, it's a sentiment tell. Beyond that, let me just kind of back up a little bit. I have a portfolio trend long only position in lots of companies, you know, cash flow positive. They're linked to my things over paper theme and they're not going to be affected, you know, so much by, you know, a NVIDIA drop or a, a FANG growth, you know, fall. It's timeframes matter. This sentiment of NVIDIA and Apple will always matter. I mean, they're successful for really good reasons. And there's a, a great saying, you know, like why if they sell 
Apple and NVIDIA, why buy anything else? That's a short-termism, <laughs> right? So that's when the market will succumb to volatility because that growth engine gets questioned and it's absolutely a really good time to position defensively because volatility enters and reprices everything. So right now, we're not seeing that, right? Except for short duration of time. But as it relates to NVIDIA, like in the Cisco example, I just, in fact, retweeted something that I had put out on September 2nd. There's valuation, then there's income, right? You can see my charts where Cisco is just now trying to make it back up into a a healthy position on price, but income's been growing steadily since 2000. Revenues, in in fact, you know, quadrupled in the years following 2000, but it didn't make a dang difference to their price action where it got the exact flip right now with NVIDIA. And they have had some very large drawdowns, right? 50, 65%. My point is right now, it's, of course, priced for perfection. That's been my term on NVIDIA, but also the market. We don't have a trigger for rolling over yet. We've got lots of opportunities for them. But until we actually sell and I do mean under the surface as well as the indices rolling over and the video gets really tested, we're not going to be right, right? So your expression might be very strong that NVIDIA is fucked. I simply said, I'd rather be long Cisco short NVIDIA because I think this is obviously going to succumb to some doubt and that doubt can actually create some selling underneath. So, and then there's an air pocket that comes up afterward. But for right now, yeah, I absolutely have eyes on the prize because as a sentiment tell, this question that I had in NVIDIA had such an overreaction. None other words, is the end demand real? When I asked that question after that, you know, core weave expose on Thursday following the NVIDIA earnings, I got some rage <laughs> directed at me. You might be used to it, Michael, but I'm not. I really consider myself like, I want some balanced views here in looking at the bull and the bear picture. I simply don't see this valuation. I simply see that it's priced to perfection. And then I saw this heavy suspicion in core weave, which Jack did a phenomenal job of following through. And no one can, unfortunately, convince me otherwise until you really show me the clients of core weave and that this is not a valiant Like, in other words, if anyone remembers, really, this is kind of more akin, forget Cisco, Uh, much of the growth from sales to Philidor, anyone who remembers that, they were a mail order pharmacy that Valiant helped establish, fund, and subsidize. Now, NVIDIA invests in a lot of players, right? Medical device, you know, imaging, core weave, there are lots and lots of stakes that NVIDIA takes and partnerships. But this is just a little bit different because of the cast of characters with Coraweave and Magnetar and such. Anyway, the orders that, that, that were filled by Valiant, they were improperly recognized as revenue, right, re- relating to these Philidor sales. And they did not disclose that unique relationship in the same way that NVIDIA hasn't disclosed that relationship with Coraweave to investors. That's my beef. And those are risks that later came out in SEC filings And they ended, Valiant ended its relationship with Philidor and then had to restate their 2014 or I don't remember what year it was, financial statements, but two years later. (laughs) And when that happened, the price just dropped like a rock. That's what I mean by the air pocket of risk. It takes a while, people. Just because they're down 4% today does not mean that I'm right. It means that there is reason to think carefully about 
the company that NVIDIA keeps and what is happening with their investor relations and specifically who are these players that are bottom line contributing some very large, you know, helping to contribute to revenue beat that NVIDIA may not have really earned. You know, if someone's nearby the area where their office is located, I think it would be a good idea to just drop in and see if these guys are really there, whether there's any activity at that address. And that should give some clarity on who the core view guys are. Yeah. And Jay, I'm going to assume that you're going to argue that, you know, again, the demand is there. This is, and I'm with you on, I think a lot of the arguments, the question I think is ultimately going to be sustainability evaluation growing into it, as you pointed if I'm going to assume you don't have a position, Jay, but if you were in a position to have a position, would you have a position? That's a lot of positions I just said. In NVIDIA at this point, given everything that you know about the industry, and then I'll go to you, Jack. It's Jay. So real quick, I absolutely do not have a position in NVIDIA. I do tend to favor it, view it pretty favorably, but it's expensive, right? And I, I on my own podcast the last week, I was joking, you know, I, they're going to they're gonna miss at some point next quarter, a few quarters down the road. And I'm looking forward to that because then I, I can buy it. I, I think it's a in a pretty good position. It is expensive, but they have so much strong demand going on here. Now, I, I think that's separate from what's going on with CoreWeave. I, I don't think CoreWeave is the sole reason for their massive beats. And CoreWeave, to the extent that I, you know, I, I just looked at their website, I know a little bit about them, but they are a legitimate company. To your point, Jack, earlier, they absolutely do. One of those companies that you mentioned of their three customers from last year, one of them is actually a subsidiary of HP that does IT services for the government. So I think that speaks to why some of their customers are not so well known, but they have other real customers now on their website, CrowdStrike, real company, a lot of security companies. They have AMD, Epic Games, and this is just from their website. So I think this is, I think CoreWeave is, has real operations. Like I think if you go by their office, there will be people there. Now, I'm not going to speak to the character of them. I don't know them well. I haven't been around them. And certainly, you've raised some good points about their background. But I think it's a mistake to connect all these dots, right? So there's questions about CoreWeave, but there is some substance there. And then linking that to NVIDIA is, again, another... It's not entirely clear-cut that NVIDIA and CoreWeave are in some complicated, Silidor valiant relationship area. There are much simpler explanations. And... I keep coming back to this. There is real demand for NVIDIA products from also been all the big lot, companies. And there's also been a lot of demand that's pulled forward. Tesla, for example, and they're, they created their own center, right? They don't need a so, but, but, they're but, but, behind. Saudi but pull, Arabia, China. There's a lot. Pull, pull, pull forward implies there's nobody else to buy the next, the next round. But I, that's not the case here where you have NVIDIA products are currently on allocation, meaning even the biggest companies out there, the biggest customers, AWS, Google Cloud, Microsoft Azure, they're not able to get all the product they want. NVIDIA said on their call, their last call, that they won't be able to satisfy demand until sort of the middle of next year. There's just a long line of people who want to buy NVIDIA products because they are effectively the only game in town for generative AI. Jack's been waiting patiently. Go ahead, Jack. Thanks, Michael. So real quick to answer Samantha's point, is the end demand real? Step back. The fact is it is not real yet. That end demand is projected. It will probably be there because AI is an amazing technology. But let's remember, right now, people are in a race to get these GPUs because they think there will be demand. They think AI is the next big thing, and it probably is, but right now, is it? Okay, it isn't yet. So everybody is racing to get their GPUs. Everybody wants them, right? So that brings me to the question, why 
Corwees. Why are they selling them to Corwees? As far as I can tell, the only special thing about Corwees is that NVIDIA will sell them chips and that Magnetar Capital will give them money to buy them with. And that brings me to the point of the people who are at the head of the money trail here, Magnetar Capital. And this is the single most important point that any retail investor who's chasing NVIDIA stock needs to understand, that Magnetar Capital has a history of dumping toxic assets onto unsuspecting retail traders to use them as exit liquidity so the big players can get out before it all comes down. That this is named after them. They call it the Magnetar trade. And I put a comment in this spaces linking to it. All right, that, that memorable scene, I talked about this in part two of my videos, that memorable scene from the big short where Steve Carell's hair is all messed up because he can't believe what a sleaze that Wing Chow was. Wing F. Chow was the guy's name. He was the CDO manager for Merrill Lynch. Although he didn't work for Merrill Lynch, he was helping to sell Merrill Lynch's CDOs. Magnetar Capital was working with Wing Chow to make sure the riskiest mortgage bonds went into those CDOs so that Wing Chow could sell them to unsuspecting investors while Magnetar Capital was betting against them. So I want to, you got to understand who these people are. These are the people supplying the money to CoreWeave so that CoreWeave can supply the money to NVIDIA. They have a history of sabotaging investments to sell them to the public so they can bet against them. And look at the history of where CoreWeave's money has come from. Two weeks after CoreWeave became CoreWeave, before that they were crypto miners, two weeks after they get $50 million. Why? They were, just a, they were just an Ethereum mining outfit two weeks ago. Now they got $50 million. A year later, they get $100 million, again, from Magnetar. A few months later, they get $221 million from Magnetar, along with a few other players. A month after that, they get another $200 million from Magnetar. And then three months after that, they get that famous $2.3 billion line of credit. The hedge fund, the sleaziest hedge fund in the history of Wall Street, the people who took all that crap off of the bank's balance sheets and put them onto yours, the retail trader, because he put it into your pension. He put it into your mutual funds, your 401k and IRS. Magnetar helped him put that together so Magnetar could bet against it. They are the ones supplying all the money to inflate NVIDIA's earnings right now. If that does not make the hair on the back of your neck stand up, if that doesn't creep you out, I don't know what will. And on top of that, why Coreweave? I just got into the fact that these guys cut their teeth in carbon trading where they had 20 shell companies set up in the Cayman Islands. And I, all, there's been personal attacks against me since I did these videos. There's been plenty of personal attacks against Samantha. I have not heard one person offer anything resembling an explanation for why a company would need to set up 20, possibly 60 shell companies in the Cayman Islands for a legitimate reason. And these are the same guys who founded CoreWeave, the CEO, the director, the co-founder. There is so much smoke here, and people cannot see past how awesome these GPUs are to see all that smoke. I'm just trying to warn people, these guys have a history of using retail as exit liquidity. They profited off of it. They did not get prosecuted when it happened, so they would only be emboldened to do it again. People need to be careful. They need to ask the questions. The press will not do it. The press will only put out puff pieces on these guys. And you also have to ask, what about 
NVIDIA's own due diligence. When they invested equity in Corbeave, these should have been the questions that they should have asked and maybe passed on Corbeave as an investment because of the shady past of the company, right? I mean, that just didn't happen, which is surprising as well. We'll be back after a quick break. Are you an alternative investment company looking to expand your reach and share your expertise with a wider audience? Look no further. Podcasting You is here to help you shine in the world of podcasting. At Podcasting You, we specialize in connecting alternative investment companies with top podcasts, providing you with a platform to share your insights, strategies, and success stories with engaged audiences. Don't miss the opportunity to elevate your company's presence in the podcasting sphere. Contact Podcasting You today and let us help you secure valuable podcasting appearances that can take your business to the next level visit our website to learn more and take the first step towards podcast guesting success go to podcastingyou.com today okay so so i want to just for the last few minutes again i already here please make sure you follow everybody here especially jay came in kind of last minute but obviously brought some really good perspectives here follow everybody up here again this will be a podcast under lead lag live and if any of you want to come up and ask questions we're coming up a little bit tight, but I'll see if I can cycle through here. Let's just talk about kind of lessons learned just the last several months. The lesson for me is that I've obviously been wrong, even though I'm, I think it's hilarious to keep on saying it if it is fucked. I had somebody once DM me saying, bro, people are losing money on your advice. And my response was, what exactly is the advice when I say NVIDIA is fucked? And there was no response, right? Because it's not me suggesting to short. I've made it very public in saying I'm against shorting. It doesn't work over time. It has to do with the path behavior of declining markets versus advancing markets. Better to consider imperfect hedges as opposed to perfect hedges because with a perfect hedge, your timing has to be perfect. Now that's my vantage point, but I don't believe in shorting and you can comment on something without necessarily taking a position in it. Just like Jack said, he has no position in it. Neither do I. I but let's talk about just from the short side, Samantha and Kashup, given that you both have disclosed that you're shorting it. It's been a hard trade, right? To hold on to. Talk about risk management when it comes to shorting in general, especially when you have a stock like this, because I think what matters is managing the risk. The reality is everybody in this space could be right, just at different times, right? So you've got to manage the path in between now and then. So Kashyap, I'll go to you first on that. How do you think through managing the risk of being negative on NVIDIA and trying to take a directional bet on it? So that's the trader hat and the analyst hat, right? So... Sometimes, even though you know you're right, you just have to puke and take the loss. And I shorted NVIDIA outright twice and I've covered both times. So this time I just switched to buying the NVDS ETF in a cash account and owning puts. So that way I know what's the max that I can lose. Defining it very clearly. Samantha, on you. For me, this is a personal journey. In other words, everyone has their own timeframes and risk parameters and I'm an options trader. So when I say chase swing and trend timeframes, it means I can be watching what's going on, you know, in my live trading room that morning after NVIDIA's earnings, it was a perfect short, but that's on a very intraday basis versus a trend position where I'm looking for an absolute signal that this thing has stopped going up. And right now we've got a lot of smoke as Jack did such a good job of articulating why we should be watching for a trend reversal. But ultimately, this is really just, you can be an active trader and not have to be sunk in some big investment short that isn't working. Like I mentioned, a pair trade, long Cisco short in NVIDIA. So that's more of a swing trade versus 
you know, kind of intraday trading something on a much shorter duration. And again, using options as a risk-defined trade. So I'm all over that. I only do trend trades that are long, by the way. So my portfolio is only long trends. And they're very much matching what you and I, you know, have talked about before. Lots of sector rotation stuff, right? And macro themes. So long story short, how I manage risk is going to be very different from someone else and the tools that I use to, you know, manifest that trade and the timeframes. I think the bigger message here isn't managing risk on a shorter duration. It's the investors who have a lot of profits on the table if they're long-term NVIDIA investors. And there's nothing wrong with taking some off as we kind of get into this, you know, kind of elevated valuation and some very strong questions about the company they keep. And I would say just eyes wide open. We don't have the whole full story of this yet. And I love how the community, meaning FinTwit, yes, they can be very nasty, but they can also be very supportive and they can also DM us with more information. <laughs> and by the way, this story is really just starting. So I love the work that Jack has done. I'm still with my call. I'm not, you know, wavering that I think this is suspicious. But ultimately, this can take, like a valiant, two years to manifest a crash if it's true. So right now, I kind of want to end on that going, watch the videos. If you're just popping into this space that Michael has has hosted, thank you very much for that, by the way, although I have issues with the title. <laughs> I really think that the three videos that Jack did are just thought-provoking. And only thing I can do as a risk manager, both for my clients and what, you know, small following I have on Twitter and YouTube, is to help you think about your risk and your timeframes. So I hope that helps. And again, thanks for uh, for hosting this. Yeah, I tell you, I'm muted. And then I know what I end up with. Jack, go ahead, Jack. Yeah, I'll just say this is let's not rush to conflate NVIDIA and Corey. They're separate companies, right? Corey was private. NVIDIA is big public company. So let's not conflate the two. There is real demand for NVIDIA, but as everyone knows, this is a very expensive stock. I'd be very careful as a retail investor getting in here. I was joking before about jumping in, but I, I want to be very careful because I was trying to, as being a little glib, but it is, it's very expensive and there's a lot that can go right and wrong for the stock. So be very careful. But I think, like I said, the fundamentals, there are, there is real fundamental demand here. Just be careful with the trading. And then we'll give Jack the last word, given that his, his phenomenal YouTube editing is what sparked a lot of this. So go ahead, Jack. Thank you, Michael. And yes, I do all my own stunts, by the way. When it, I want to refer you guys to a quote. I'm not going to read the whole thing. It was a famous quote from former Sun CEO, Sun Microsystem CEO, Scott McNeely, called, What Were You Thinking? And read that whole quote afterward. I won't read the whole thing to you guys, but just know that Sun Microsystems was trading at 10 times revenues when he issued that famous quote about what were you thinking and that NVIDIA is at quadruple that valuation right now. And the last thing I want to comment on, Michael, is you made a reference to the song and I know it was a little annoying and <laughs> I got that criticism, but I also know you have a music background. So I bet you had the aha moment at the end also, because, you know, I had, the, I had this trouble when I tried to explain my research, even to Samantha. In the first few minutes before I hit record on our interview, I could tell I was losing her when I was trying to paint this picture. So I put a lot of thought into that part three. And, you know, the song was playful. It was upbeat. The people dancing was kind of meant to be a little bit of a victory lap. Like, hey, maybe the little guy actually caught, actually caught him. They won't get away with it this time kind of mentality. But underneath that, the same people that are dancing in the video to the song are the people who ultimately end up paying for messes like this, right? 
every time they dump these assets onto pension funds, they dump them onto 401ks, they dump them onto retail investments. So there's a little bit of sadness between beneath the smiles and the dancing. And also the song was the perfect mechanism to tell that story. And that's why I demonetized that last video, even though I spent three days, my whole Labor Day weekend and my anniversary working on that video. God bless my wife. I love you, Gigi. But I made the video specifically for the song because the more I thought about it, it really seemed like the song was made for that video. You know, there was the obvious undertone of suspicion was a big player there, but I also needed something a little bit catchy and upbeat to re-engage viewers every few minutes because it was so boring, right? I mean, there's decade-old C-SPAN footage, C-SPAN 2, not even C-SPAN 1, right? How do you keep people entertained with C-SPAN 2 footage? So I, I looped in the people dancing and the chorus from that song, because I had to get people to the shell companies. I think once you see those shell companies in the Cayman Islands, that's so much smoke now that it requires cognitive dissonance to ignore it, that these people have a history, whatever that history is, I won't speculate. I'm not trying to get myself sued, but obviously there is a history there and they are the missing link here in this whole story. But the real reason that I put the song in there and featured it so prominent is because that song itself is fraud. CNC Music Factory was a fake group. They stole Martha Wash's voice to make a model look like an artist. And I had to tie that in at the end to just, you know, remind people. And it was almost a gut punch. Hey, that song that you've been dancing to and hopefully bobbing your head if I did my job right with the editing by the end of the song, that was done by crooks because fraud and corruption is just everywhere in our culture, even in our music, and certainly in our finances. And it reaches a fever pitch right before the event where the House of Cards comes down. We saw it the last time. They increased the frequency and the severity of the scheme at the last minute. And I just invest the time, guys. It'll take you about an hour to watch all three. But there is there are legitimate questions posed in there. And there's been plenty of personal attacks lobbed and plenty of very dismissive comments about the technology and speculation about my own interests. That doesn't explain away the content in those videos and the content that Kashyap and Samantha have dug up. It's worth the time. Look into it. Just ask the questions. Nobody else will. Our regulators won't and the press won't. And by the way, let me just wrap up by saying I appreciate everybody that's here and listening because you're probably doing more due diligence just by hearing opinions and everyone does have an opinion because nobody knows what tomorrow brings included you're listening to all these different opinions about what's going on what could be happening and that is more due diligence than most people do because most people's due diligence is simply looking at a chart and it's going up to the right forming a narrative around revenue around earnings to justify the continuation of that 45 degree line this is common throughout market history it's repeating i think with nvidia here whether it goes up or down the one thing I can say with confidence is that we are all fucked no matter what. So with that said, thank you for joining again. Please make sure you follow Samantha, Jack, Kashup, Jay. Again, this will be a podcast and hopefully I will see you all tomorrow. Thank you, everybody. Cheers. The content in this program is for informational purposes only. You should not construe any information or other material as investment, financial, tax, or other advice. The views expressed by the participants are solely their own. A participant may have taken or recommended any investment position discussed, but may close such position or alter its recommendation at any time without notice. Nothing contained in this program constitutes a solicitation, recommendation, endorsement, 
or offer to buy or sell any securities or other financial instruments in any jurisdiction. Please consult your own investment or financial advisor for advice related to all investment decisions. Don't forget to follow at Leadlag Report on X, Instagram, Threads, and YouTube, and check out the Leadlag Report at www.leadlagreport.com. Use promo code PODCAST30 for two weeks free and 30% off to get access to award-winning research and anticipate stock market crashes, corrections, and bear markets.